This is episode 244 of That Shakespeare Life. Merry Christmas. I hope you are enjoying a wonderful holiday season this year. I know I am excited about all of the cold weather and the trees and the ribbons and everything. And I hope your life is filled with joy and celebration this year. If you would like a little Shakespeare in your Christmas celebrations, you can join me for a Tudor Christmas party inside the detailed show notes for this week's episode. The detailed show notes are where I put all of the bonus history tidbits that don't quite fit onto the audio of our show. This includes things like links to Tudor music, woodcuts, and paintings of Father Christmas, the Lords of Misrule, and other fun Christmas history celebratory items that I pack into the detailed show notes. Detailed show notes are available for patrons that support our show at $5 a month or higher. You can access these details immediately right from the show notes of our episode at castycash.com slash episode 244. Or you can stay tuned after the episode for even more details. But you can jump right over there right now for even more Christmas fun. Hi, I'm Nini Mikaila, historical costumier, tailor, and author of The Tudor Tailor, Reconstructing 16th Century Dress. Another great method for studying the history of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend Cassidy Cash. Father Christmas in the 16th century is very, very different to Santa Claus. He is the personification of Christmas, if you like. He's not always called Father Christmas. Sometimes he's Captain Christmas or Sir Christmas or Prince Christmas. But he's very much the spirit of the season. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. It's Christmas time again this year, and our thoughts are full of sugar plums, candy canes, and hopefully some beautiful winter snow. Growing up, children of the 20th to 21st century are very familiar with the concept of Father Christmas, or Santa Claus, as he's become known today, who brought gifts to good children each Christmas Eve. For William Shakespeare, however, the characters and particularly the understanding of Father Christmas would have been quite different. You see, William Shakespeare didn't have Santa Claus the way we think of him today, and there was one Christmas carol from the mid-15th century that described a Sir Christmas that traveled around announcing the birth of Christ and offering drinks to passers-by. There's another record from the mid-15th century that describes a traditional Christmas battle between Christmas and Lent, during which a parade of the months of the year culminates in the presentation of the King of Christmas riding a horse decorated with tinfoil. These 15th century images of Christmas and the personification of the season come well before Shakespeare's lifetime, and the strict idea we know today as Father Christmas would not show up until after after the restoration in the mid 17th century. So what did England and by proxy Shakespeare do to celebrate the Christmas holidays? Did Shakespeare have a Father Christmas? Here today to help us understand the holiday spirit and the role of characters like Father Christmas and St. Nicholas during Shakespeare's lifetime is our guest and historian, Elizabeth Norton. 
Dr. Elizabeth Norton is a British historian specializing in the Queens of England and the Tudor period. She has degrees from the University of Cambridge and Oxford, as well as a PhD from King's College London, where she has taught history. She's the author of 12 nonfiction books, including the critically acclaimed The Lives of Tudor Women. She regularly appears on television as an expert. Recently, she acted as historical advisor and featured contributor on the BBC's The Boleyns, A Scandalous Family. Before we talk with our guests today, I want to very quickly tell you about a new offering we have available for our patrons. We now have Experience Shakespeare Activity Kits available on Patreon. These kits are like science labs for Shakespeare history. They're designed to take a piece of the history you learn about here on our show and let you try it out for yourself with kits like how to make iron gall ink or how to make Tudor soap balls and how to play card games like Maw or Naughty that gets mentioned in Shakespeare's plays. All of these kits are designed to be completed with supplies you may already have at home or can easily purchase at your market or store. We cover these kinds of activities in our DIY history series on YouTube, and you get the printable activity supply lists and step-by-step instructions by being a patron at the DIY history level. The experienced Shakespeare history level on our Patreon page is designed specifically for educators. And what that means is if you're wanting to bring the podcast and hands-on lesson planned ideas into your classroom, then along with the supply list and step-by-step instructions you get from DIY history, experienced Shakespeare gives you printable worksheets, classroom activity ideas, and a bonus detailed history guide that identifies which of Shakespeare's plays coordinate with the activity, as well as relevant links to episodes of our show, so you can listen to experts explain the history while you're trying it out. You can access all 12 of our experienced Shakespeare kits, including one of our most popular about how to make apple wassail, a traditional Christmas time drink from Shakespeare's lifetime, by becoming a patron of our show at the experienced Shakespeare level on Patreon. Check out this and all of our patron options at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. Now on with the show. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Was there a Santa Claus for Shakespeare's England? Yes and no, really. There are two figures active, if you like, in the 16th century who are the antecedents of of Santa Claus as we know him today, but they're completely separate and very, very different to how we imagine Santa Claus. Did Shakespeare grow up with like a Father Christmas during the holidays or was this figure mainly a product of the restoration taking place after Shakespeare had died? So he would probably be familiar with the concept of Father Christmas, but Father Christmas is, I mean, today Santa Claus and Father Christmas are synonymous, you know, and it's used interchangeably in England. But Father Christmas in the 16th century is very, very different to Santa Claus. He is the personification of Christmas, if you like. He's not always called Father Christmas. Sometimes he's Captain Christmas or Sir Christmas or Prince Christmas. But he's very much the spirit of the season. And he is quite riotous, you know, so sort of hard drinking and partying. He, in fact, has a club which he uses in some of the mumming plays, which are common in the period. So Shakespeare most likely will have heard of Father Christmas or one of his alter egos, Captain Christmas or Sir Christmas. He's not the jolly white bearded fat man that we know today bringing presents to children, but he is obviously associated with the Christmas season. And so that's one of the two figures that was the antecedent to to Santa Claus. But what is the second one? 
So the second one is, of course, St. Nicholas. And we can see that in the name Santa Claus, you know, Santa Claus, Sinterklaas, St. Nicholas. He is a very obscure historical figure, um, a fourth century Bishop of Myra, which is in modern day Turkey. We don't have very many historical records about St. Nicholas at all. But within a few centuries of his death, there are lots of legends circulating about him. And he's very much associated with youth. He's a patron saint of youth. Um, There's a really nice story of him hearing about three sisters who can't afford dowries and sort of reaching through an open window or in some accounts going down the chimney and dropping gold into their shoes so that they can get married and they won't be sold into slavery. So we can sort of see where Santa Claus can come from with this story. By the 12th century, particularly in Northern Europe, so Germany, the Netherlands, France, he is associated with Christmas time. His his feast day is the 6th of December. And also with present giving, Dutch children would leave their shoes out overnight on the 5th of December for their parents, well, for St. Nicholas, actually, to fill with fruit or sort of small trinkets, small toys. And you get St. Nicholas fairs where parents can go and do their Christmas shopping. So he's actually much more closely associated with Santa Claus as we know him than Father Christmas. Although just like Father Christmas has his club, St. Nicholas can also be quite quite harsh to naughty people, badly behaved children won't get a present. They might even get whipped by St. Nicholas. So what about the gift giving for Father Christmas? Did he bring gifts and presents to people that had been good all year? Or was he just all about the partying and the the Tudor sort of image of, of revelry around Christmas time? So Father Christmas is not associated with present giving until probably around the 19th century. He is very much a party animal. He's associated with revelry. And as you say, the Tudor Christmas is all about revelry and fun. You know, they have lords of misrule. You know, it's it's all about turning traditions on its head. I mean, there's an interesting tradition in Tudor England of boy bishops, which again are associated with St. Nicholas. But effectively on St. Nicholas's Day, a cathedral will appoint a boy as their bishop. And then it's a bit of a joke, really. The boy will, for the next month, will be performing ceremonies, they'll be doing the services, they'll be saying mass. They get dressed up like a bishop, but it's all kind of part of the Christmas fun. Father Christmas is obviously outside that tradition, but he's, again, he's about turning the world on its head. He's about feasting. He's about drinking. He's about sort of decorating the house. Was the phrase good old Saint Nick known during Shakespeare's lifetime? If he wasn't associated with Christmas, did they have this phrase? So he is associated with the Christmas season, but not Christmas Day. I have never heard anyone say in the Tudor period, good old Saint Nick. And actually by Shakespeare's time, he's slightly persona non grata because we've been through the Reformation. England is a Protestant country and they don't like the saints. So there are attempts made on the continent to ban Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. Martin Luther talks about presents coming perhaps from the Christ child instead of St. Nicholas. And actually, this is much more positively received by Protestants. So you start to get a shift with presents on Christmas Eve and they come from the Christ child and not St. Nicholas. So there's definitely an attempt to sort of ban him or at least sort of hinder 
his um, celebration. And we can see this in the sort of mid 16th century. There's a, there's a nice account that I've come across in Queen Mary's reign of a woman being very po-faced about her neighbor's child coming around pretending to be St. Nicholas and she won't let him in. She gets sent to the authorities and she says, well, it's not St. Nicholas. And they say, well, he's representing St. Nicholas. And she goes, well, he's not because St. Nicholas is in heaven. Um, that's just my neighbor's child. So there are real attempts to try and separate St. Nicholas from Christmas, if you like, in the 16th century. But as we've, we've seen, it's not really terribly successful. Well, I, I would think not since we carried that on to today. Someone dropped that ball somewhere for sure. <laughs> Besides Mary, Joseph and baby Jesus, who are central figures in the celebration of Christmas, as you mentioned with the 16th century and the colonists even later in the 17th century trying to replace St. Nicholas with the presents coming from Jesus. These are obviously Christmas characters as well, but what other characters would have been celebrated or what kind of people might've been honored during a Shakespearean celebration of the Christmas holiday? So again, it's all about good fun. So we have the boy bishops, Henry VIII tries to abolish them. They come back under Mary the first, but you get Lords of Misrule who are appointed in noble or Royal households. And they're effectively placed in, at least in theory, placed in charge of the household. And, you know, they give money to celebrate the season and they do all sorts of, you know, sort of jokes and parties and things like that. So they're really important to the season because it's really about celebration. And Christmas is very much a season rather than a day in the Tudor period and in Shakespeare's period. It starts at the beginning of the month or even in November on St. Martin's Day and goes all the way through to Twelfth Night. And you get different events for different days. Um, in Advent, children in some parts of England go knocking on the doors and asking for gifts from people. Christmas Eve is where you decorate the house. And actually, Shakespeare refers to decorating with holly and as you like it. And, you know, they'll use greenery, they'll use holly, they'll use ivy. Um, it's considered unlucky to decorate before Christmas Eve because it's thought that you'll bring in sort of the wood sprites into the house with the greenery and you don't want them in the house for too long because they'll cause some mischief. But it's just, it's really, it's the only sort of time of the year where people can really let their hair down because there's not that much agricultural work to do. It's, you know, it's a quiet time of year and it's also dark and it's cold. And I mean, at least, you know, most parts of England, it's really wet and a bit grim. So actually it kind of, it's a way of, passing over what's actually quite a dull, dark, boring time of year. I know that we would love to explore more about the Christmas traditions and the figures of St. Nicholas and Father Christmas for Shakespeare's lifetime. Do you have any books or resources you can recommend we use to explore this further? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a few that I think are particularly good. There is actually a book specifically about Tudor Christmas that came out a few years ago. And that's by Alison Weir and Siobhan Clark, and it's called A Tudor Christmas. One other book that I particularly like is Alison Sims' Food and Feast in Tudor England. And that's really good because it sort of sets out the traditions of feasting and merriment. And it's not just about Christmas. If you want to read something by me, um, not, not particularly about Christmas, but gives a good social history of the period and what people are doing in their everyday lives. And you can look at my Hidden Lives of Tudor Women. 
Those are excellent resources and a wonderful way to really get in the Christmas spirit and bring some Shakespeare and Tudor celebrations into your holidays this year. We will link to all of these resources in the show notes for today's episode, so make sure you go there to find those. Elizabeth, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible, so your choice would be in addition to those. See, this is always a hard one. I mean, I don't get much time to read for pleasure, although I think on a desert island, I would find the time. So I would take the Gormenghast trilogy by Mervyn Peake, which is fairly little known, I think, today. He was a friend of J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and was sort of in that sort of fantasy genre. And it's it's about a fantasy castle and all the people that live in the castle. It's also if I get an omnibus edition with all three books in one, because obviously one book, then it's also a really thick book. It'll take me a while to get through. That sounds like you'd be well set up on your deserted island with that selection for sure. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? So I've got lots going on. I've just released a Tudor jigsaw puzzle, which is very exciting. Oh, fantastic. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's called The World of the Tudors. It's the first time that I've been involved in a jigsaw. I've got some tours coming up, which are really, really exciting because actually, you know, with the pandemic, it's been it's been a long time, really. And, you know, I'm starting to think about my next book. So you sort of watch this space a bit with that. Absolutely. And we'll put links in the show notes where you can watch for Elizabeth Norton's next book to be available. And if it is just as good as the ones that we've talked about today, I know you will love it. So make sure you check there too follow along with that. Elizabeth Norton, thank you so much for being here today and taking us through the history of what Shakespeare's Christmas would have been like. I hope that you enjoy your Christmas this year and thank you again for being here this week. Thank you very much for inviting me and Merry Christmas. If you enjoyed our show today, make sure you leave us a comment and a rating on your favorite podcast platform. Every rating and review helps our show reach more Shakespeareans. Find links to Elizabeth Norton and her work, along with a list of recommended readings she suggests for you today, all packed into the show notes. You can find these things completely free at CassidyCash.com slash episode 244. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP244. Remember that our show notes are enabled with an expansion pack down at the bottom of all of our show notes. We now have a Patreon button. It's orange and it just says become a patron on it. If you're already a patron, you can use that button to log in and expand the article to reveal our detailed show notes. This includes all of the visual content that doesn't quite fit in the audio of our episode. Things like woodcuts, paintings, primary documents, and other in-depth history research, as well as quotes from Shakespeare's plays that coordinate with what we're talking about on the show today. These are available at the bottom of our regular show notes. You just click the Patreon button and either log in or sign up to be our patron and the detailed show notes will expand right away right there on the same show notes page. Again, you can find all of this at our show notes for today, which is CassidyCash.com slash episode 244. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP 244. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening from our house to your house. I hope you have a wonderful Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. 
As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.